Those of you my age or older may know the story of Johnny Erickson, now Johnny Erickson Tata, who at 17 years old dove off of a boat into water that she thought was much deeper than it was and hit her head on the bottom of the lake or ocean floor, I can't remember where she was, but instantly suffered severe um, a spinal injury that left her paralyzed um, from the shoulders down for the rest of her life. Um, she, uh, as she tells the story, the first, um, she spent two years in, in rehab, um, which apparently was very painful. And she describes having gone through very serious bouts of depression and um, anger, uh, even suicidal thoughts, and, um, and certainly doubts about um, God and his character even though she'd grown up in a Christian home and, and uh, professed Christian faith. Um, but God met her in that place of, of darkness and desperation, and she came to profound faith in Christ that has only grown uh, more deep and powerful over the years. Um, she has had a, a significant ministry um, for over 50 years now. Many of you may have heard of um, Johnny and Friends, who, um, which is an organization that reaches out to people with disabilities. Um, she has written several books, um, but I have a quote from a, a little booklet called Hope, The Best of Things. Um, where she um, describes what she is looking forward to in heaven. She says, I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. Now, I know that's not theologically correct, but I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner of heaven and then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, holding his nail-pierced hands. And I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And he will know that I mean it, because he knows me. He'll recognize me from the fellowship we're now sharing in his sufferings. And I will say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. I tell her story because she is such a perfect illustration of what James is teaching us in this passage. Uh, and the passage, I'll just read again, 
um, James chapter 1, verses, or verse 12. Um, I'm just going to be speaking of the one verse uh, to keep things a little more brief. Um, James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So the title of the message is What to Do When Temptation, or I'll add in Trials, Come. We're going through the letter um, from James, as Stephen has said, or and as Stephen has said, James is full of practical wisdom about how we can reflect the nature and character of God through our lives to the world. When most of us think about the book of James or the letter from James, we think practical. Paul, in his letters, was very theological. Paul was the great theologian of the New Testament. But James is the practitioner. He wants to help us where the rubber meets the road, which is really where most of us need the most help. And it's important to remember that although this passage talks about temptation and sin and life and death, it's important to remember that Jesus is is not talking about eternal life and death, but rather about this life. Um, He's not talking about how to be saved. Um, He's talking about living a life that is blessed. Um, He's writing to believers. So he's not not teaching them how to come into a relationship with with Christ, um, but rather how to live the Christian life um, in the fullness of the blessings that are offered to us in in that life. So when we talk about a blessed life, you might think that a, that a life of blessing is a life that's free of troubles, free of trials and temptations and problems. But that's not what James says. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But first of all, the context. James is writing to a people who are in a situation of difficulty. We know that because He addresses his letter um, to people who are in dispersion. Um, He uses the word diaspora, a scattered people. And he doesn't give a lot of details, but we believe um, that these are people who have been scattered because of persecution, because of what we know of what happened in the early, um, in the first century church. And that going along with that scattering, that dispersion, um, normally came poverty. Um, so he's writing to people who are in, in difficulties, suffering, persecution, poverty, a difficult life. And although you know, our lives may not be as difficult as, as theirs was, nevertheless, I believe we can relate because Our lives are difficult in many ways. Um, We may not have to flee our homes from persecution, 
but we have very real trials, um, as do all people in all times and all places. Um, we have to deal with sickness, um, sometimes severe sickness. We have to deal with loss, loss of loved ones, um, loss of home, loss of a job, loss of financial security. Um, we have to deal with the with broken relationships. Um, so all kinds of things. So we, we, when James writes to people who are undergoing trials and temptations, he's writing to us, not just to the first century church. Again, James says in verse 12, he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So James says that we are blessed when we remain steadfast under trial. So what does that mean to be steadfast? And I will suggest to you that, that what that means, or at least part of what that means is in the midst of a trial or in the midst of temptation to trust in God's goodness. I say that because I believe that that is ultimately the most important question of our faith, um, especially as believers. Not so much, is there a God? Um, although we may struggle with that, but most of us have come to terms with believing that, that God is real. But I think what we sometimes struggle the most with is the question of, is God good? Um, we struggle with this, especially when difficult things happen, uh, when bad things happen, uh, what we would call trials or when we're, when we're faced with temptation to sin. Um, you know, when something bad happens, we, our first response is, why God? If you are really good, why is this bad thing happening to me or to someone that I love? I know that we've all felt this way. I know I felt this way, and I, I, I'm pretty sure that most of you have as well. Terrible things happen, and we don't often understand why. And our, our instinct is to question why God would allow such a thing. Um, and temptation to sin is, is similar as well. When we're tempted to sin, uh, it's because we want something that we think is good, but God says we can't have it. And so our, our trust in God's goodness is challenged in those times of temptation. And for me, it's helpful to go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible to kind of understand the nature of sin and faith and obedience and God's goodness. When we start at the very beginning in Genesis 1, and we won't take the time to read through it now because I think most of us as believers have read Genesis 1 multiple times and know the basic story, but it's the description of God creating the world. Um, God speaks. He says, let there be light. And there's light. 
and he says, let the, let there be land, let the land be separated from the waters. He says, let there be the moon and the stars, let there be animals, etc., etc. And all these things come into being. And we learn multiple things about God in the, just that, that brief description of creation. Um, we learn that God is a person because he speaks. Um, he's not like, you know, the force in Star Wars, uh, just some, some nebulous, inanimate um, power that, um, you know, is on the side of good or evil. But God is a person. God speaks. God communicates. That, that indicates personhood. He's someone who we can know, who we can relate to. It's an important thing that's established from the very beginning. Another thing that we see is that God is powerful. Um, like I said, God, God speaks and things happen. God speaks and, and things are created um, out of nothing. God says the word and things come into being. And then we see that just in the, in the unfolding of creation that God has a plan. Um, he, he creates the world with order and, and with purpose. But the thing that I want to concentrate on the most here is that what we see over and over again in the description of the creation is that God is good. Every day when God um, is, just, we're, just, we're told how God creates some new part of the creation, we're told that God sees it and it is good. And the next day he creates another thing and he sees that it is good. And over and over and over again, this, this phrase is repeated. God sees that it is good. And the message for us is that God creates good because God is good. That's the overwhelming message of the creation story is that the creation is comes into being as an overflow of God's goodness and that what God does is good because God is good. So it's important as we as we think about that story to, to keep in mind that that establishing that truth of the goodness of God is important before we get to the next chapter where there is a call for obedience because our obedience to God, um, the, our actions toward God are um, dependent on this confidence in his goodness. We trust, our obedience is based on trust because we trust in the goodness of who God is and that what he wants for us, what he asks us to do or not to do comes out of his good plan for us. Um, that's what the life of faith is all about, trusting in God's goodness. Um, if you think about people that you trust, a person that you trust, um, I'm pretty sure you trust that person because you believe that they are good. Um, you would not say that you trusted a person who you felt was a bad person. And so that is at the heart of, of why we have faith, why we have trust in God is because we believe ultimately that he is good. Or that's what the Bible teaches us. Um, but I think that's where we struggle. We say that we believe in God's goodness, but do we? 
when the rubber meets the road, when, when trials and difficulties come, do we believe in God's goodness or do we, or do we doubt? And I think that is, that is the life of faith is learning to trust even when um, things happen that make us question whether God is, is really good. Um, that's what I love about Johnny's story and her, her description there at the end where she's talking to Jesus and she says, um, let me see if I can find it here. Um, well, she says, the weaker I was in that wheelchair, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. Johnny learned that God was good even in the midst of the, the pain and difficulty and hardship that she experienced because of her um, paralysis. So how do we grow in, in trusting in God's goodness? Well, I think there are numerous ways to do that. I mean, first of all, we do what we're doing right now. We meet together. Um, I mean, right now we're, we're separated, obviously. Here I am sitting in my house and, and you're sitting probably in yours or somewhere. But, but in spirit, we're coming together as the body of Christ. We're meeting together as we are right now because we can't meet together in church on Sunday morning because of the weather. But, um, but we come together uh, when we can, as regularly as we can, and as frequently, frequently as we can, because we, we need to remind each other that God is good, that God is faithful, that he's worthy of our trust. You know, that's not what the world tells us. The world tells us that we should be fearful. Um, you know, we watch the news, we look around us and we see problems. The world is a bit of a mess, um, especially nowadays. And you know, we've got COVID that we're dealing with. We're, we're hearing in the news about a potential war that's about to break out between Russia and Ukraine. And, you know, are we going to get involved in that? Um, there's economic problems. There's, you know, there's all kinds of problems out there. And so the, the world, when we look at the world, um, really the message to us is there's a lot to be afraid of. There's a lot to be fearful about. But God's word tells us that God is good and that God has good plans for us and that we are to build our, our life and our, our mindset, our attitudes on the hope and the promises that God gives us. So we, how do we, how do we grow in trusting God's goodness? We, we remind each other. Another way is we, we read the word. Um, again, we're getting all sorts of messages elsewhere. It's really important that we fill our minds with the truth of God's word, because there we find the, the beautiful character of who God is, his love for us, his patience with us. You know, when you read the Old Testament, you read over and over again about the failure of God's people. 
And yet God is faithful. God keeps bringing them back, keeps drawing them back to himself because he is so faithful. He is so kind. He is so gentle in, in drawing his people, his rebellious people back to him over and over again. When we read the New Testament, we read the Gospels, we, read the, we find out about the heart of Jesus, his compassion on um, you know, the, the weak and the, um, the sinners who, are, who, who we are. Um, so we need to spend time in the Word we need to spend time learning about the unchangeable truth of who God is and how he interacts with people. And then finally, how do we grow in, in trusting in God's goodness? And I would say, you know, remember that, that faith is like a muscle um, that has to be exercised. Um, the more we use it, the stronger it gets. And like, you know, like a muscle, you know, you got to start small. We start with, uh, you know, small exercises and we work up to the bigger ones. And, you know, Jesus said in, in, in the Lord's Prayer and teaching us how to pray, he says, you know, um, give us this day our daily bread. You know, we're, we're to trust God with the, the, the small things, the daily things of life. You know, just the, what are the little things that, um, you know, that cause you anxiety or cause you to worry um, how do you, you know, can you give those things to the Lord? You know, do you have um, concerns about your children? Um, are, are there relationships in work um, or with neighbors or whatever that, you know, need you to just hand those over to the Lord and, uh, and see if he will um, do something new? How can you trust him with those things? Um, use the use the muscle, use the muscle of, of faith, and um, just as you go through your days, as things come up that that make you anxious, that tempt you to turn your eyes away from God's faithfulness, um, just try in every little thing to to turn to Him, and uh, and and lean on His on His goodness, lean on His faithfulness, and God will show you that He is faithful just like he, he showed Johnny in the midst of her terrible trial, that, that um, he's good, that he's enough, that he is enough to sustain her through those difficulties. So the last thing I want to just touch on briefly is, is what is, is the crown of life? Um, again, the verse that we're reading, um, James 1, 12, James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. What is that crown of life? Um, as I think I've already said, I, I don't believe that that's eternal life. I don't think that this passage is talking about how to be saved, how to come into a relationship with God. Um, rather, what James is teaching us is, is about how to live the life of faith. And so this, what is this crown of life that he's promising to believers as we, um, as we face trials and meet them with steadfastness? Um, so some commentators 
suggest that this crown of life is a is some kind of a reward that we will receive um, in the age to come, you know, at the time of the final judgment. Um, there are actually, in the New Testament, there are several different types of crowns that are mentioned. And um, sometimes it sounds like that, that, uh, that is something that is to be given yet in the future. Some commentators suggest that the crown of life is some kind of reward to be received in the final judgment. And there are actually several different crowns mentioned in the New Testament. So it's possible there are a variety of special rewards for believers in the age to come. And all of this may be true, um, but like many things in the kingdom of God, much of what we hope for in the next life God gives us a taste of in this life. And I suggest to you that Johnny Erickson Tata is an example of someone who has received and is receiving the crown of life as a result of how she responds to the trials in her life. Here is someone who has been in a wheelchair for over 50 years. And more recently, within the last 10 years or so, she's been diagnosed with cancer twice um, after the first time being declared cancer-free. She was, again, uh, just a few years ago, diagnosed with cancer again. So here is someone who is well acquainted with difficulties and trials but when you see her and hear her speak, she is so full of life and hope and joy and purpose. She's responded to the tragedy in her own life by reaching out to others in similar situations to serve them, to help them, to love them all in Jesus' name. And when you listen to her, you can tell she knows Jesus so deeply that there's nothing else that compares in her life to her relationship with him. And she has such a joy from that relationship with Jesus that it attracts others to want to know him and to know this Jesus that has made all of her suffering worthwhile. I think Johnny Erickson Tata has the crown of life. Her life is so full of Jesus that he radiates out of her and she just has a joy that is not diminished by the daily trial of, of pain and hardship that comes from being a, a quadriplegic. I think for her, that is the crown of life. There may be another crown waiting for her in heaven, but I see a crown of life on her right now as I see her. And how does she get that crown, that crown of life? By trusting in Jesus, by 
remaining steadfast in her trust of him in the face of great, great trial. And by looking to him every day to meet her in the small, small trials, as well as in the big ones. James tells us that God gives us the crown of life as well when we face trials and temptations with trust in his unchanging goodness. God is good. And everything he brings into our lives is an expression of his goodness, whether it feels good to us or not, whether we understand it or not. God is good. We can trust him. And when faced with trials, we can stand firm on the knowledge that he loves us. He is good. His plans for us are good. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great promise from James. Thank you, Lord, that you are good, that that your word tells us over and over again and shows us over and over again about your goodness, your kindness, your patience, your gentleness. Help us, Lord, to trust in that goodness, especially in the hard times, especially when things happen that cause us to question that. Lord, just remind us, stir up in our hearts that confidence so that we can trust in you by your grace and for your glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So with all your say-